when I published Ulysses by James Joyce in my little bookshop called Shakespeare and Company in Paris. Look, look, the dust is growing. My branches lost Lord Jesus. Stately plump backbiting. All perfume, yes, and his heart was going like mad. And yes, I said yes, I will, yes. Friends of Shakespeare and Company read Ulysses by James Joyce. Read today by Aishigu Sawash. Miss Dunn hid the Capel Street Library copy of The Woman in White far back in her drawer and rolled a sheet of gaudy notepaper into her typewriter. Too much mystery business in it. Is she in love with that one Marion? Change it and get another by Mary Cecil Hay. The disc shot down the groove, wobbled a while, seized and ogled them. Six. Miss Dunn clicked on the keyboard. 16th June. 1904. Five tall white-hatted sandwichmen between Moneypenny's corner and the slab where Wolf Tone's statue was not, eeled themselves, turning H-E-L-Y apostrophe S, and plodded back as they had come. Then she stared at the large poster of Marie Kendall, charming soubrette, and listlessly lolling scribbled on the jotter sixteens in capital S's. Mustard hair and dauby cheeks. She's not nice-looking, is she? The way she's holding up her bit of a skirt. Wonder will that fellow be at the band tonight. If I could get that dressmaker to make a concertina skirt like Susie Nagel's, they kick out grand. Shannon and all the boat club swells never took his eyes off her. Hope to goodness he won't keep me there till seven. The telephone rang rudely by her ear. Hello? Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, sir. I'll ring them up after five. Only those two, sir, for Belfast and Liverpool. All right, sir. Then I can go after six if you're not back. A quarter after, yes, sir. Twenty-seven and six, I'll tell him. Yes, one, seven, six. She scribbled three figures on an envelope. Mr. Boylan, hello. That gentleman from sport was in looking for you. Mr. Lenehan, yes. He said he'll be in the Ormond at four. No, sir. Yes, sir. I'll ring them up after five. Two pink faces turned in the flare of the tiny torch. Who's that? Ned Lambert asked. Is that Crotty? Ring a Bella and Crosshaven, a voice replied, groping for a foothold. Hello, Jack. Is that yourself? Ned Lambert said, raising in salute his pliant lath among the flickering arches. Come on, mind your steps there. The vesta in the clergyman's uplifted hand consumed itself in a long soft flame and was let fall. At their feet its red speck died, and moldy air closed round them. How interesting, a refined accent said in the gloom. Yes, sir, Ned Lambert said heartily. We're standing in the historic council chamber of St. Mary's Abbey, where Silken Thomas proclaimed himself a rebel in 1534. This is the most historic spot in all Dublin. Oh, Madame Burke is going to write something about it one of these days. The old Bank of Ireland was over the way till the time of the Union, and the original Jews' temple was here, too, before they built their synagogue over in Adelaide Road. 
You were never here before, Jack, were you? No, Ned. He rode down through Dame Malk, the refined accent said, if my memory serves me. The mansion of the Kildares was in Thomas Court. That's right, Ned Lambert said. That's quite right, sir. If you will be so kind, then, the clergyman said, the next time to allow me, perhaps certainly, Ned Lambert said, bring the camera whenever you like. I'll get those bags cleared away from the windows. You can take it from here or from here. In the still faint light, he moved about, tapping with his lath the piled seed bags and points of vantage on the floor. From a long face, a beard and gaze hung on a chessboard. I'm deeply obliged, Mr. Lambert, the clergyman said. I won't trespass on your valuable time. You're welcome, sir, Ned Lambert said. Drop in whenever you like. Next week, say, can you see? Yes, yes. Good afternoon, Mr. Lambert. Very pleased to have met you. Pleasure is mine, sir, Ned Lambert answered. He followed his guest to the outlet and then whirled his lath away among the pillars. With J.J. O'Molloy, he came forth slowly into Mary's Abbey, where draymen were loading floats with sacks of carob and palmnut meal, O'Connor Wexford. He stood to read the card in his hand. The Reverend Hugh C. Love, Rathcoffey, present address, St. Michael Salins. Nice young chap he is. He's writing a book about the Fitzgeralds, he told me. He's well up in history, Faith. The young woman with slow care detached from her light skirt a clinging twig. I thought you were at a new gunpowder plot, J.J. O'Molloy said. Ned Lambert cracked his fingers in the air. God, he cried, I forgot to tell him that one about the Earl of Kildare after he set fire to Cashel Cathedral. You know that one? I'm bloody sorry I did it, says he, but I declare to God I thought the Archbishop was inside. He mightn't like it, though. What? God, I'll tell him anyhow. That was the great Earl, the Fitzgerald Moore. Hot members they were, all of them, the Geraldines. The horses he passed started nervously under their slack harness. He slapped a piebald haunch quivering near him and cried, Whoa, Sonny! He turned to J.J. O'Molloy and asked, Well, Jack, what is it? What's the trouble? Wait a while. Hold hard. With gaping mouth and head far back, he stood still and after an instant, sneezed loudly. Chow, he said, blast you. The dust from those sacks, J.J. O'Molloy said politely. No, Ned Lambert gasped. I, I, I caught a cold night before, blast your soul, night before last, and there was a hell of a lot of draft. He held his handkerchief ready for the coming. I was... This morning, poor little, what do you call him? Chow! Mother of Moses! Tom Rochford took the top disc from the pile he clasped against his claret waistcoat. See, he said, say it's turn six. In here, see, turn now on. He slid it into the left slot for them. It shot down the groove, wobbled a while, seized, ogling them. Six. Lawyers of the past, haughty, pleading, beheld pass from the consolidated taxing office to Nisi Prius Court, 
Richie Golding carrying the cost bag of Golding, Collis, and Ward, and heard rustling from the Admiralty Division of King's Bench to the Court of Appeal an elderly female with false teeth, smiling incredulously, and a black silk skirt of great amplitude. See, he said, see now the last one I put in is over here, turns over, the impact, leverage, see? He showed them the rising column of discs on the right. Smart idea, Nosy Flynn said, snuffling, so a fellow coming in late can see what turn is on and what turns are over. See, Tom Rochford said. He slid in a disc for himself and watched it shoot, wobble, ogle, stop. Four. Turn now on. I'll see him now in the ormond, Lenahan said, and sound him. One good turn deserves another. Do, Tom Rochford said. Tell him I'm boiling with impatience. Good night, McCoy said abruptly. When you two begin... Nosy Flynn stooped towards the lever, snuffling at it. But how does it work here, Tommy? he asked. Tooraloo, Lenahan said. See you later. He followed McCoy out across the tiny square of Crampton Court. He's a hero, he said simply. I know, McCoy said. The drain, you mean? Drain, Lenahan said. It was down a manhole. They passed Dan Lowry's music hall, where Marie Kendall, charming soubrette, smiled on them from a poster, a dobby smile. Going down the path of Sycamore Street, beside the Empire Music Hall, Lenahan showed McCoy how the whole thing was. One of those manholes like a bloody gas pipe, and there was the poor devil stuck down in it, half choked with sewer gas. Down went Tom Rochford anyhow, Bookie's vest and all, with the rope round him. And be damned but he got the rope round the poor devil, and the two were hauled up. The act of a hero, he said. At the Dolphin, they halted to allow the ambulance car to gallop past them for Jarvis Street. This way, he said, walking to the right. I want to pop into Lynham's to see Scepter's starting price. What's the time by your gold watch and chain? McCoy peered into Marcus Tertius Moses' somber office, then at O'Neill's clock. After three, he said, who's riding her? Oh, Madden, Lenahan said, and a game filly she is. While he waited in Temple Bar, McCoy dodged a banana peel with gentle pushes of his toe from the path to the gutter. Fellow might damn easy get a nasty fall there, coming along tight in the dark. The gates of the drive opened wide to give egress to the vice-regal cavalcade. Even money, Lenahan said, returning. I knocked against bantam lions in there, going to back a bloody horse someone gave him that hasn't an earthly. Through here... They went up the steps and under Merchant's Arch. A dark-backed figure scanned books on the hawker's cart. There he is, Lenahan said. Wonder what he's buying, McCoy said, glancing behind. Leopoldo or the Bloom is on the rye, Lenahan said. He's dead nuts on sales, McCoy said. I was with him one day, and he bought a book from an old one in Liffey Street for two bob. There were fine plates in it worth double the money. The stars and the moon and comets with long tails. Astronomy it was about. Lenahan laughed. I'll tell you a damn good one about comets' tails, he said. Come over in the sun. 
They crossed to the metal bridge and went along Wellington Quay by the river wall. Master Patrick Aloysius Dignam came out of Mangan's, late Farinbas, carrying a pound and a half of pork steaks. There was a big spread out at Glen Cree Reformatory, Lenahan said eagerly. The annual dinner, you know, boiled shirt affair. The Lord Mayor was there, Val Dillon it was, and Sir Charles Cameron and Dan Dawson spoke and there was music. Bartell Darcy sang and Benjamin Dollard. I know, McCoy broke in. My missus sang there once. Did she, Lenahan said. A card, unfurnished apartments, reappeared on the window sash of number seven Eccles Street. He checked his tail a moment, but broke out in a wheezy laugh. But wait till I tell you, he said. Delahunt of Camden Street had the catering, and yours truly was chief bottle washer. Bloom and the wife were there, lashings of stuff we put up, port wine and sherry and curacao, to which we did ample justice. Fast and furious it was. After liquids came solids, cold joints galore and mince pies. I know, McCoy said, the year the missus was there. Lenahan linked his arm warmly. But wait till I tell you, he said. We had a midnight lunch too, after all the jollification, and when we sallied forth, it was blue o'clock in the morning after the night before. Coming home, it was a gorgeous winter's night on the Featherbed Mountain. Bloom and Chris Callanan were on one side of the car, and I was with the wife on the other. We started singing glees and duets. Lo, the early beam of morning. She was well primed with a good load of Delahunt's port under her belly band. Every jolt the bloody car gave, I had her bumping up against me. Hell's delights. She has a fine pair, God bless her, like that. He held his caved hands a cubit from him, frowning. I was tucking the rug under her and settling her boa all the time. Know what I mean? His hands molded ample curves of air. He shut his eyes tight in delight, his body shrinking, and blew a sweet chirp from his lips. The lad stood to attention anyhow, he said, with a sigh. She's a gamey mare and no mistake. Bloom was pointing out all the stars and the comets in the heavens to Chris Callanan and the Jarvie, the great bear and Hercules and the dragon and the whole jing-bang lot. By God, I was lost, so to speak, in the Milky Way. He knows them all, Faith. At last she spotted a weenie-weeshy one miles away. And what star is that, Poldy? says she. By God, she had Bloom cornered. That one, is it? says Chris Callanan. Sure, that's only what you might call a pinprick. By God, he wasn't far wide off the mark. Lenahan stopped and leaned on the river wall, panting with soft laughter. I'm weak, he gasped. McCoy's white face smiled about it at instants and grew grave. Lenahan walked on again. He lifted his yachting cap and scratched his hind head rapidly. He glanced sideways in the sunlight at McCoy. He's a cultured all-round man, Bloom is, he said seriously. He's not one of your common or garden, you know. There's a touch of the artist about old Bloom.